Book One, Chapters Eleven through Fifteen of The Consoling Thoughts of Saint Francis de Sales by Jean Joseph Huguet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Consoling Thoughts on God, Providence, the Saints. Chapter Eleven: Love of Jesus for Sinners. Our Lord, the great and excellent Physician of our infirmities announced everywhere before coming into this world both his arrival and the maladies he would cure sometimes by his prophets i will bind up that which was broken and i will comfort that which was weak the spirit of the lord is upon me to teach the poor he hath sent me to heal the contrite of heart they will be cleansed from all their iniquities and thou shalt save the humble sometimes by his own mouth come to me all ye that are weary but above all when he was called jesus for physicians do not always cure and therefore it was not sufficient to call him merely physician but he should be called saviour inasmuch as his remedies are infallible what wonder then if in the gospel we find him surrounded by the sick by sinners and by publicans o vain and foolish murmuring of the jews when they said this man receiveth sinners whom would you wish him to receive is it not the honour of a physician to be sought for the sick and so much the more as their maladies are considered incurable our lord not so much to condemn the temerity of these pharisees as to give us courage to approach him banished far from him by fitting similitudes their ungrounded supposition let us conclude then with reason from his discourse that it is his pleasure to lead back sinners to mercy the soul departs from god flying away from his graces and the means which he proposes for our salvation as we say that a man flies from physicians not that he hates the person so much as the prescription of the physician but how far sinners are from god by so far are they from his mercies what a pity what regrets for that which the great saint augustine says is most true lord thou hast made us for thyself and our heart cannot rest but in thee oh what disorder in man with regard to his god and with regard to himself but there is one consolation in the midst of so great a desolation that though the sinner is far from god he may return and will be well received let the impious forsake his way and the wicked man his thoughts and let him return to the lord and he will have pity on him for he is bounteous in his mercy to forgive thus how were the poor prodigal and the unfortunate absalom received by their fathers and otherwise what would become of us for all have sinned every man is a liar that is to say a sinner if we say that we are without sin we deceive ourselves return to the lord and forsake your injustice for his mercy is great towards those who are converted to him why is he called saviour unless in order to save sinners and publicans drew nigh to hear his word 
in the twenty-second chapter of the first book of kings it is related of david that being in the cave of odalam needy and afflicted men gathered to him and he became their king this was to prefigure the second and true david who should allow the poor and needy the afflicted and the miserable those groaning under the heavy burden of corporal infirmities and much more those sinking under the insupportable burden of sin to approach to him the pharisees murmur because he receives sinners but let us observe for a little how he receives them and we shall behold great wonders that the sinner can depart from god and from himself is certain the spirit goeth and returneth not thy destruction is thine own o israel thy help is only in me and saint paul we are not capable of ourselves to have any good thought but our sufficiency is from god we can run away quickly enough but cannot make one step back again our lord prevents the sinner and goes to seek him calls him and invites him to return otherwise the sinner would never think of it i acknowledge that my strength comes from thee my god because thou art my support the mercy of my god will prevent me it is god who produces good wishes and desires within us and it is he who perfects them and conducts them to execution draw me after thee and we shall run he who voyages with the wind returns with the contrary wind never would absalom have returned to his father if the thecuan woman had not obtained his forgiveness never would the sinner return if mercy did not prevent him o infinite goodness our lord goes in search of the lost sheep otherwise it would never return ah though some murmur at mercy let us at least praise it for it receives sinners and seeks them jesus being in the temple on the day of the great solemnity cries out saying if any one thirst let him come to me and drink come to me all you etc the son of man is come to seek and save that which was lost how many times would i have gathered them together as a hen gathereth her chickens but o oh, miserable that we are we are often called and we only turn a deaf ear i have called and you have not heard says god we are drawn and we obstinately resist him he complains saying all the day long have i stretched out my hands to this incredulous and rebellious people o holy fortunate and happy crowd of sinners and publicans who approach to the lord they are not like those invited to the great feast who excuse themselves they come and are welcome o my saviour how have these sinners drawn nigh to thee since thou art just for david says absolutely of the just man that evil must not approach to him depart from me ye wicked no one can come to me unless the father draw him and him who cometh to me i will not cast forth since it is thus o saviour o redeemer o good god i can say to the multitude on thy part approach to god and you will be enlightened 
and your faces will not be confounded, for he receives sinners. But behold the manner of approaching to him. We must retire from sin, retire from evil, go out from Babylon, flee the Chaldees. Peace is not with the wicked, says the Lord. You have sinned by thought, word, and deed. You must have recourse to contrary things, contrition, confession, and satisfaction. Our Lord is like the sun which shines everywhere. His course is from the summit of heaven. He sheds his rays on the just and the unjust, and from the muddiest pools extracts vapors, which arrived at a certain elevation, are converted into a gentle rain, which falling in its turn gives life and fruitfulness to plants. From the greatest sinners, God brings forth holy exhalations, which are considerations on their faults, up to a certain height of fear and apprehension, as to a middle region of the air, considering that they are between heaven and hell, between salvation and damnation. His spirit breathes, and the waters flow. These are the waters of contrition, which make the earth germinate and produce the fruits of salvation. But we must allow ourselves to be drawn. We must acknowledge our miserable condition. Let us then depart. Let us depart from Egypt. Let us approach our Lord. Let us make provision of good works. Let the feet of our affections be bare. Let us clothe ourselves with innocence. Let us not be satisfied with crying for mercy. Let us go forth from Egypt. Let us delay no longer. The hour is come to arise from sleep, since we know that he receives sinners. The angels await our repentance. The saints pray for it. Chapter 12 how much the mercy of God appears in the conversions of St. Paul and David. When the Savior came into the world, men had arrived at the height of malice. Among the Jews, the laws were in the hands of Annas and Caiaphas, than whom none could be more wicked. Herod reigned in Galilee, Pontius Pilate presided in Judea, it was at this time, I say, that God came into the world to redeem us and to deliver us from the slavery of sin and the tyranny of our enemy, impelled by his immense goodness alone to communicate himself to us. Truly the heart of our divine Savior and Master was all full of mercy and meekness towards the human race and he gave many admirable proofs and testimonies of it on innumerable occasions when his mercy made his greatness shine forth, as we read in various portions of the Holy Scripture. When was St. Paul forgiven, unless when he had arrived at the height of malice? Everyone knows that at the time of his conversion he was in the midst of his greatest hatred and fury against God, and unable to satisfy his rage against our Savior, had turned his wrath against the church, which, if possible, he would have driven from the face of the earth, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And nevertheless, it was then that the Lord vanquished his malice and ingratitude, touched his heart, converted him, forgave all his iniquities, 
even at the very time when he was most undeserving of mercy o god how great was the divine mercy in regard to this holy apostle yet we every day see like effects of the goodness of god towards sinners for when they are most hardened in their sins and have come to such a degree of malice that they live as if there were neither a god nor a heaven nor a hell it is then he manifests the bowels of his pity and his sweet compassion sending a ray of his divine light into their souls discovering to them their miserable condition that they may arise from it but never do i read of the conversion of david without being astonished to see that this prophet after having committed such great sins remained for nearly a year without returning to himself buried in a profound lethargy never awakening or perceiving his miserable condition o god his sin would have been in some manner excusable if it had been committed whilst he was yet a shepherd tending his flocks but that david should have sinned after having received so many and such great graces from the divine majesty so many lights and favors after having wrought such marvels and prodigies after having been brought up in the bosom of the sweet clemency and mercy of god that he should have committed such crimes and remained afterwards for so long a time without recognizing them oh this is indeed a matter of the greatest amazement he commits many sins heaping them upon one another and lies stagnating in his iniquities for nearly a year without perceiving his miserable state or remembering his god behold poor david then without any disposition for grace through his forgetfulness of god but the divine goodness seeing his blindness and to withdraw him from sin sends him the prophet nathan who wishing to make him recognize his fault uses a parable telling him that a rich man who had a large number of sheep and oxen had taken away from a poor man one single little lamb which he had nourished in his house and which he singularly loved see i beg of you how wisely the prophet speaks to him in the third person of his fault in order to make him recognize and confess it but david plunged in such complete blindness as not to see his sin does not perceive that the prophet nathan refers to him in any manner and pronounces sentence of death against the man who had stolen the sheep commanding him moreover to restore fourfold its value consider i beg of you how hardened poor david was in his sin of which he had not any sentiment but as for the faults of others he could very well be aware of them and knew how to impose a punishment proportioned to their guilt but the prophet nathan seeing that david did not recognize his sins told him boldly that it was he who had stolen away the lamb which poor david understanding being struck with contrition he cried out i have sinned against the lord peccavi domino then nathan said to him because you have confessed your sin god forgives you and you shall not die now what greater effect would you wish to see 
of the mercy of god than this for at the time when david would appear to have reached the very summit of his malice god forgave his iniquity but what a change did he manifest after recognizing his fault he did nothing but weep and deplore his blindness no other word was heard from him than this peccavi and crying to god for mercy he went about continually repeating the psalm of penance miserere mei deus there are many other similar examples in the holy scriptures by which god has displayed to us the greatness of his mercy and from which we see the truth of these words of isaiah because their malice has come to its height it will be forgiven them chapter thirteen how great is the mercy of god on the return of the sinner the entrance of sin takes away life from the heart and from all its good works the entrance of grace restores life to the heart and to all its good works a severe winter kills the plants of the field so that were it to continue always they should remain forever dead sin the sad and fearful winter of the soul kills the holy works which it finds there and were it to continue always never should life or vigor return but as on the approach of lovely spring not only the new seeds which we cast into the earth shoot up and bud under the influence of this mild season of fecundity every one according to its kind but also the old plants which the bitterness of the preceding winter had wasted and withered grow green again and take back their former life so sin being destroyed and the grace of divine love coming back to the soul not only the new affections which return of the sacred springtime brings germinate and produce many merits and benedictions but also the works faded away under the harshness of the winter of past sin being delivered from their mortal enemy are reinvigorated and as it were resuscitated flourish anew and fructify in merits for eternal life such is the omnipotence of celestial love or rather the love of celestial omnipotence if the impious man turn away from his impiety and do judgment and justice his soul shall live be converted and do penance for your iniquities and your iniquity shall not be to your ruin says the almighty lord and what does he mean by saying iniquity shall not be to your ruin unless the ruins it had made will be repaired thus besides the thousand caresses which the prodigal son received from his father he was re-established in all the dignities and advantages he had lost and job an image of the penitent sinner received in the end double of all he had possessed god then does not forget the works of those who having lost his holy love by sin recover it by penance but god forgets works when they lose their merit and sanctity by supervening sin and only remembers them again when they return to life and value by the presence of love 
so that the faithful, in order to be recompensed for their good works, as well by an increase of grace as in the enjoyment of future glory and of eternal life, are not obliged never to relapse into sin, but it suffices, according to the sacred counsel of Trent, to depart this life in the grace and charity of God. God has promised an eternal recompense to the works of the just man. But if the just man turn away from his justice by sin, God will no longer remember his justices or the good works which he has done. But if, nevertheless, this poor man, after falling into sin, rises again and returns to divine love by penance, God will no longer remember his sin. And if he will no longer remember his sin, he will then remember his preceding good works and the recompense they had deserved, since sin, which alone can take them away from the divine memory, is effaced, abolished, and annihilated. Thus the justice of God obliges his mercy, or rather his mercy obliges his justice, to regard anew the past good works, as if they had never been forgotten. Otherwise the penitent king would not have dared to say to his master, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and confirm me with thy perfect spirit. For as you see, he not only seeks a newness of spirit and of heart, but asks that the joy of which he had been deprived by sin may be restored to him. Now this joy is nothing else than the wine of heavenly love which rejoices the heart of man. The same may not be said of works of charity as of sin, for the works of the just man are not effaced, abolished, or annihilated by supervening sin, but only forgotten, while the sin of the wicked man is not only forgotten, but effaced, abolished, and annihilated by holy penance. Wherefore a just man's sin does not vivify sins forgiven, for they were entirely annihilated. But love, returning to the soul of the penitent, restores life to former good works, because they were not annihilated, but only cast into oblivion. It is not reasonable that sin should have as much power against charity as charity against sin. For sin proceeds from our weakness, but charity from the divine omnipotence. If sin abounds in malice to destroy, grace superabounds to repair. And the mercy of God by which sin is forgiven is gloriously magnified above his justice by which the good works preceding sin are forgotten. Thus, in all the corporal cures which our Lord miraculously wrought, he not only restored health, but added such new benedictions as made the excellence of the cure surpass the virulence of the malady. So good is he towards men. When Nabuzerdan destroyed Jerusalem, and Israel was led into captivity, the sacred fire of the altar was hidden in a well where it was changed into mud. But this mud, being drawn from the well and placed in the sun at the time of the return from captivity, the dead fire resuscitated 
and the mud was converted into flames thus when the just man becomes the slave of sin all the good works which he had performed are miserably forgotten and reduced to mud but on his departure from captivity when by penance he returns to the grace of divine love his preceding good works are drawn from the well of oblivion and touched by the rays of celestial mercy revive and are transformed into flames as bright as ever they had been to be placed again on the sacred altar of the divine approbation and to receive back their former dignity merit and value chapter fourteen how full of mercy god is even towards the damned we ought to feel extreme pleasure in considering how god exercises his mercy by so many different favors to angels and to men in heaven and on earth and how he exercises his justice in an endless variety of pains and chastisements for his justice and his mercy are equally amiable and admirable in themselves since both are nothing else than the one self-same divinity but inasmuch as the effects of his justice are full of bitterness he sweetens them always with a mixture of his mercy so that in the midst of the deluge of his just indignation the green olive is preserved and the devout soul like a chaste dove is able at length to find the verdant branch if only it will lovingly ponder and meditate after the manner of doves thus death afflictions labors which by the just ordinance of god are the punishments of sin are also by his sweet mercy so many ladders to ascend to heaven so many means to increase in grace so many merits to obtain glory blessed then are poverty hunger sadness sickness death persecution for they are truly the just punishments of our sins but punishments so tempered and as doctors say so perfumed with the divine sweetness kindness and clemency that their bitterness is made agreeable it is a strange thing but true that if the damned were not blinded by their obstinacy and hatred against god they would find consolation in their pains and behold the divine mercy admirably blended with the flames that burn them eternally so true is this that the saints considering on the one hand the terrible and horrible torments of the damned praise the divine justice crying out thou art just o god thou art equitable justice has ever reigned in thy judgments but considering on the other that these pains though eternal and incomprehensible are much less than the crimes for which they are inflicted deserve and filled with astonishment at the infinite mercy of god they exclaim o lord thou art good since even in the height of thy wrath thou canst not contain the torrent of thy mercies but their waters flow out over the impetuous flames of hell chapter fifteen the excellence of abandonment to god abandonment is the virtue of virtues 
it is the cream of charity the fragrance of humility the sweetness of patience and the fruit of perseverance great is this virtue and worthy of being practised by the beloved children of god my father says our saviour on the cross into thy hands i commend my spirit it is true he was pleased to say all is consummated and i have accomplished all that thou gavest me to do but nevertheless if it be thy will that i remain still on the cross to suffer more i am content i resign my soul into thy hands do with it as pleases thee thus we should act on all occasions whether in joy or sorrow surrendering ourselves to the divine will to be guided according to its good pleasure without any concern about our own particular desires our lord loves with an extremely tender love all those who abandon themselves entirely to his paternal care allowing themselves to be governed by his divine providence without considering whether its dealings toward them are sweet or bitter being assured that everything coming from his paternal heart will be for their good and advantage placing their confidence in god they say my father i commend my soul my body all that i possess into thy hands that thou mayest do with them in thy love what pleases thee whatever happens nothing will move me from my firm resolution of acquiescing in the divine will concerning me and all that belongs to me i wish to bury my will in that of god or rather i wish our lord to will in me and for me according to his good pleasure i cast the care of myself into his hands sometimes our lord wishes that souls chosen for the service of his divine majesty should nourish and fortify in themselves a resolution of following him through all disgusts aridities repugnances and bitternesses of a spiritual life without consolation tenderness or enjoyment and that they should believe themselves deserving of no other treatment thus treading in the footsteps of our divine saviour without any support but the divine will never shall we be reduced to such an extremity as to be unable to offer to the divine majesty a holy submission to the divine will we must possess a continual an imperturbable equanimity amid the great variety of human occurrences and though all things change around us remain immovable with our eyes fixed on god alone and though all things i will not merely say around us but even within us should turn topsy-turvy whether our soul be joyful or sorrowful in peace or in trouble in light or in darkness in temptation or in repose in happiness or in disgust though the sun scorch or the dew refresh we should always keep our will fixed on the good pleasure of god as its sole and supreme object it is true that we require great confidence to abandon ourselves without any reserve to divine providence 
but when we do abandon all our lord takes care of all and disposes of all but if we reserve anything which we are unwilling to confide to him he leaves us as if he would say you think yourself sufficiently wise to manage that affair without me you can do so and see what will come of it saint magdalen who was wholly abandoned to our lord remained at his feet and listened while he spoke and when he ceased to speak she ceased to listen but she did not move away from him thus her soul abandoned to our lord remained in his arms as a child in the bosom of its mother which when she puts it down to walk walks until its mother takes it up again and when she carries it allows itself to be carried it knows not cares not whither she goes but is carried or led as its mother pleases in like manner the soul which loves the good pleasure of god in all that happens to it either allows itself to be carried or walks if necessary doing at all times with great care the signified will of god end of book one chapter fifteen